This is the almost world-famous Original Music Jam podcast. Hey, Gary. All right, Jim. Hey, what's the plan for this week? Yeah, you're not going to believe it, but we got some fan mail. We've got fans <laughs> who are literate and who know how to type. It's amazing. Fan mail for some flounders? I bet you Mark doesn't get that reference growing up in Britain and all. I bet you most of the audience is too young to get that one. Rocky and Bullwinkle, of course. Well, what's in the fan mail? Is it good or not so good? Well, the most asked question is how to become a music composer. They want to know how we became music composers and how to make money at it. Well, how we came to composing is easy. True. But how we came to make money, well, Hmm. that's not the so (laughs) easy part. Hey, I went with my story last time, Jim, so... I think it's just time it's your turn. Yeah, but we never got to the composing part of your story. The nose goes. What? Nose goes what? That doesn't work when we're not on camera. Hey, nose goes bylaws specifically state, first, to touch the nose doesn't have to. Have to what? Whatever. (laughs) Nothing in there about cameras and the bylaws. Your turn anyway. Uh, More references nobody's going to get? All right, I do like telling this story. Just ask my kids. You know, they're <laughs> sick of hearing it, but I do tell it to them and others. You know, and I I don't do it just because the story is so compelling, but because I do think there is a lesson to be learned in all this or lessons to be learned in all this. And all the things I accomplished are not due to my sparkling personality, charm, and good looks, you know. <laughs> no kidding. Or musical skills, but. <laughs> but what? Come on. I'm not sure I know all of this story. Spill the beans, boy. Okay. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Wait, wait, wait. You're jumping scripts here, Obi-Wan. I get that reference. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I have to go back to when I'm very young. I'm four or five years old. And, you know, so my father loved music and wanted me and all my siblings to be involved with music. And sometime when I was in kindergarten, he went out and, for him, made a big investment in a piano. I think he had a choice, a big stereo and a record collection or a piano for his kids. And lucky for me, he chose the piano. And I have to admit, I remember I was quite intrigued with that thing, you know, that big thing. I don't know if it was just because of my dad's reaction to the piano because he was so proud of it, but it did sound so cool. What was it? Like a Baby Grand or a Steinway? No, you know, it was an upright Baldwin, oh. but it was one of their top-of-the-line models. Then one day when I was about five years old, my mother, who had no music ability or background except for a very rudimentary idea how a piano works or how to read music, showed me how to play a song out of a beginner's book, and I can remember it to this day. See the sea lion, sassy sea lion, and all the quarter notes <laughs> were on middle C, and you'd swap your left hand and your or left thumb for, for your right thumb. And I remember this reading music before I learned how to actually read. So anyways, my father signed me up for piano lessons with the nuns at the Catholic school. Ooh, wait a second. The nuns at the Catholic school. I knew you were going to Did they wrap your knuckles with the rulers if no, you didn't play right? No, they, they didn't do that. But they did have psychological torture that they <laughs> would inflict on you. And they did it. And my father kind of picked up on it, too. It was They did it through reverse psychology. They're like, oh, you got to learn how to do that. you know. And my father would say, oh, you're not practicing. I'm going to call Sister Margaret Mary. And she's not going to be happy. Somehow in that whole thing there's a a veiled threat of violence or physicality (laughs) somewhere yeah on both sides the nuns and your parents yeah i never um 
I never experienced any physical stuff, but I, I do remember being thought that I had to do it. You know, like I had no choice. <laughs> sure. God was going to strike me dead if I didn't listen to the nuns tell me how to practice the All right. En- enough for the brim, <laughs> fire and brimstone. Get back to your right. story. And honestly, practicing was, and it always has been, as you know, painful, mm. especially as a kid. It was... Uh, it's fun to be able to play an instrument, but practicing is rough. And uh, as I started to get older, I would hear things on the radio, and uh, my friends would play music on records. I started to become interested in some jazz and some pop music, and I wanted to play the trumpet. So my dad went out, got me a trumpet, and I joined a school band. So when there was a song I really liked, I didn't go out and buy the record. I went out and got the sheet music and played it. I think that really shaped the way I hear music, where most people, when they go to hear a band, want to hear a song played the way it was on the record or recorded. But to me, a song became a melody with a harmony added, and every time and everyone subjects that to a new interpretation. Anyways, so on top of pop sheet music, there's always chords and tablatures that are not in classical pieces. So I eventually started to crack the code, so to speak. I deciphered what a chord was and how to use it, and that became a quicker way to learn a song. But all along, practicing was boring and painful, and as a teen, I was becoming more interested in other things. Like what? Sports and girls? Yep. Baseball and girls. (laughs) And not necessarily in that order, I bet. Correct. So anyway... Going into my junior year, I saw something in the course descriptions at school. There was this class called Music Theory, and I really had no idea what that was. I pretended like I did, but I really didn't know what it was. It it said to bring your instrument to class and play in class, and I got this brilliant idea. I no longer would have to play in the band and no longer have to take piano lessons. I could satisfy my dad by taking this one music class, right, and play the trumpet and the piano in this class. So I got my story together and presented it to my father, and you wouldn't believe it, but he fell for it. He (laughs) let me do it, and I couldn't believe it. I was, like, so relieved. I was going to be out of all the bands, all the piano lessons, and I was going to, for one hour a week, I was going to have to be in class with it. But he let me do it. I couldn't believe it. Okay, so then what happens next? Are you about to tell us that your musical career is based on a lie? Why, yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, so on the first day of class, the teacher gives out an assignment and the assignment was to go to mcdonald's and get the paper that they used to put on the trays to carry your food on Ah. and it's an ad for mcdonald's but across the top of the piece of paper there was their jingle and it was actually written out in notation um you deserve a break today you remember that oh yeah of course thank the lord i never had to hear it so the assignment uh, was to get that jingle and hand write out an arrangement with parts for all the horn players in the class, which consisted of pretty much of all the best players in the school. And this was back way before computers. No notation apps existed. The dark ages. Oh, yeah. Back then, everything was in black and white. Or just a hazy shade of gray. <laughs> Nobody's going to get that reference either. Yeah, right. Well, um, so we had to make sure everything was transposed properly and in a comfortable range for each instrument. And uh, the arrangement was going to be played in class. And having played both piano, trumpet, and a little bit of working knowledge of chords that I had figured out on my own, I had a real good grasp on how this was all going to work, more so than the other kids in the class, right? So I was motivated to do well. 
And here was an area where I might know something more than the rest of the kids of the class. And they were all the smart kids in the school. <laughs> you know, all the best students are always in the band and yeah. orchestras, right? So anyways, I was ready to show off a little bit, but I was not prepared for the effect that the assignment was going to have on me. All right. So tell us what happened. Okay. So I write this simple little arrangement with some dynamics in it and some simple harmony, nothing real big. And I know great shakes. Uh, the day comes to perform everyone's arrangements. And, you know, some of them fall apart and some arrangements are fine. And they play my arrangement, right? And to my total amazement, they played all the right notes. They got soft when I told them to. They got loud when I indicated. And my mind was absolutely blown away. They all started at the same time and ended in the right spot and it sounded fine. Now, I can't tell you if my arrangement was better or worse than anybody else's, but I could not stop thinking about the power of that moment, all of the possibilities. I had created a piece of music that worked and all my classmates and I were creating music together. And from that day forward, I could not think about anything else other than music. My, my senior year, I joined the jazz band, the marching band, the concert band, anything I could get into, and I was hooked. Like, I even pretended I didn't want to be in the marching band, but I really wanted to be in the marching band, but I acted <laughs> like I did well, because of that class, I started to always have manuscript books around, and I would compose little snippets of songs, and I hoped uh, they would be performed some way or somehow. And when I would uh, fill one of those up, I would go buy another one, and I still have most of those books. Uh, my wife used to give them to me as birthday gifts and such before we were married with kids, and here's one of them. That's how important they were to me. Okay, wow. So that was high school, but did you continue in college? Like, did you major in music? Well, um, back then, majoring in music in college for the most part meant studying classical music mm -hmm. it's not like today where you can major in anything jazz film composition songwriting and when you graduated you were pretty much only qualified to teach you know and teach lessons you know people actually making money in music were not academics and honestly i was not the best student coming from the pragmatic you know middle class family that i did my father said to me you know, go to college, get a and major in something you can make money at, like business or marketing. Get a degree, and then you can go do anything you want. And you did that. Yeah. I majored in marketing and played in every jazz band I could. Took piano lessons from a wonderful guy named Willie Pickens, one of the greatest underappreciated jazz piano players ever. And I studied arranging on the side with Frank Mantooth, and people in this business will know who he is. Uh, he's a, he was a really cool guy. And so that was pretty much my background when I started out. All right, all right, all right already. But the problem is the bylaws specifically state that we have to do a song right now. Section 3, Article 2.5. We have bylaws? In-laws, maybe. <laughs> but we have a problem here. It's summertime and everything has opened up and all the guys and girls are out on tour playing in front of actual live audiences. Uh -oh. It's just us in the studio. Well, uh, are you ready to try this? Uh, this actually might be really fun. Carrie has a song here that I think is really cool. I'm dying to play it. I'm dying to see what we can do with this song. Uh, you want to try and, and just you and me? Well, I don't know. We can, we can try it and see what happens. We, we can always edit, right? Edit it out if we have to? Sure we can. Yeah, that's the story. We can edit. <laughs> Another comedic <laughs> reference that might get past Martin and some of the audience. Uh, yeah, so hey, so tell us the backstory about the song. Where did the song come from? You know, really the, the very beginning of the song was probably somewhere, I don't know, early 2019, 
Yeah. When I just heard, you know, beginning of the pandemic and all of the people were talking about that. And I heard somebody somewhere, I think it was a news commentator or something, say, you know, all we have is Band-Aids and, and we've got a bullet wound uh, or a reference like that. Something similar to that. And I'm like, ah, that's, a, that's a really clever line. I'm going yeah. to remember that. It's got an alliteration. So yeah. that's a good way to start a song, yeah. right? It was with a good alliteration. Yeah. So I had that in the mind for a while and, and you know, the chord progressions and stuff. And I started noodling around with it. And, you know, I don't know if you ever do this and uh, I probably should admit it, but sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, I'll borrow a couple of notes up front just to get my, you know, the sort of creation started. So if you listen to this song, I'm sure you probably would never hear it, but, uh, you know, I lifted like the first six notes of the vocal melody from Joy to the World. Really? Yeah. The it's Christmas a, song or the no, Three Dog no, Night three song? Night. <laughs> Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Really? Come with Dave when you wake up. The first six, four, oh, really? six notes. Oh, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, what, what's the line? Good artists copy and great artists yeah, steal. I think I'm pretty safe. Four notes of the vocal melody only and nothing else is the same. So, But, you know, it just helps me get started sometimes. So that's a, you know, a little cheater tip on my part. Yeah, you know, I did a Google search on that uh, Band-Aid on a Bullet one, and there are other songs with that title uh, and, and that word, but they're nothing like yours. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nowhere near as good. Of course, of <laughs> course. So I th- just in general, I mean, you know, the lyrics are kind of that, you know, you start to get a little bit older and you don't recognize certain things about yourself and, you know. Uh-oh. But <laughs> we're all getting older and not recognizing things, right? But then again, you know, uh, again, turn around in the chorus where it's like, hey, you know, there's no chance unless you take one, right? Yeah. So there you go. Get up and take one. Okay, okay, enough pontification already. Do the song. All right, well, we're going to start this thing? Yeah, well, first off, hand me the chord sheet. Okay. <laughs> Let's just start with your guitar. I mean, it's your song. I'll just jump in. Okay, well, here goes everything. <laughs> oh, one, two, three. Yeah. All right, here we go. Pretty cool. I like it. Come a day when you wake up. Don't recognize who's in the mirror. Life is kind of empty, but your belly's full of fear. They say it's all about the journey, not the destination, friend. They never ever mention just how fast a ride will end. Got no chance unless you take one. Don't think about the wasted years. Stop looking for the road to turn back Cause you can't get there from here Quit dreaming about your glory days now Night's howling at the moon Cause you're only putting band-aids on a bullet wound All seems like a dream now Them wild times of your youth But no one gets a redo That's a cold, hard, bitter truth So figure out the puzzle Still time to win the game If you 
miss the final dance Now that would be a crying shame Got no chance unless you take one Don't think about the wasted years Stop looking for the road to turn back Cause you can't get there from here Quit dreaming about your glory days now Night's howling at the moon Cause you're only putting band-aids on a bullet wound Alright, so is this where the solos go? I think it is, I think it is, yeah <laughs> Should I try something? There you go, man different flavor. I'm soloing here. Well, excuse me. Let's take off. Martin's throwing his own references in now. Got no chance unless you take one. Don't think about the ways to You added that thing at the end. I didn't know it was coming. Nice. Uh, I didn't either. So there. Hey, <laughs> you know what? I just picked up a program called Band in the Box. Oh, nice. And I'm good. You know what I'll do? I'm going to try to use that to come up with backing tracks for this and just see how it turns out for next time. Since we don't have anybody else in the studio this week. And it would, maybe we could do a review of that software. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's nice to see the progression of how a song changes over uh, over the course of a podcast or two. So yeah. Okay, so back to you on how you became a composer. So so far we've got a lot of backstory, but now how you actually became a composer and got paid for it. All right, again, spill the beans. All right. Uh, okay, so um, there I was with a college degree in marketing, and my father said I could do whatever, anything I wanted. I went downtown Chicago. Does that sound right? I went downtown Chicago way. That's a good song. <laughs> um, and wandered the streets uh, checking out music opportunities. You know, I found some recording studios and just stuck my head in in a couple of them. So I, I decided I wanted to be a composer, but I had no idea how to do it. So I took a low-level job in a recording studio just to get in the game, you know. And so, honestly, that's how you do it. You find a way to get in the game and you work really hard. So what was your actual job and, and how did it go from there? Well, my actual job was as a dubber. So I sweep... is a dubber? Is that another reference uh, nobody's going to get? Yeah, I kind of think so. A dubber was somebody who made duplicates or dubs of ah. recorded material. So this was before digital or in the Internet. So physical copies of recordings were made on reel-to-reel -reel tape and then shipped to wherever. For example, if somebody recorded a McDonald's commercial, like you deserve a break today, I would make 500 to 1,000 copies on a high-speed machine that would be sent to the same number of radio stations all across the country. And how did making copies all day help you become a composer then? 
Well, at the time, Chicago was the jingle capital of the world. So I was being given tapes from all the ad agencies who hire composers and from composers themselves sometimes. I had to quality control those tapes and those duplicates or dubs by listening to uh, some of every tape that came in. So I could hear what the agencies wanted from composers. And at the same time, I was learning who all the composers were and who was hiring them. So I, I got to the point where I could hear a jingle and I could tell you exactly who the composer and arrangers were just by the sound of the tape and even where it was recorded. Plus, I started to learn how to operate audio equipment, which has also been a big help to me. All right. So you were dubbing all day long and playing out in bands at night? Yeah, exactly. I worked about 70 hours a week and was in a band on weekends playing the South Side of Chicago. Now, playing in a band that I was in was like getting a master's degree in music as far as I'm concerned. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> I learned more from the guys and experiences in that band than anything I've ever done in my life. But again, that's a whole other story for a whole other podcast. And I'm sure you've got similar stories. Uh, like the... Yeah, for sure. Okay, so how did you jump from there into composing? Okay, so one day I was getting ready to record a narrator and, or, and doing my daily dubs, and I walked into a studio where there was a producer. And I did not know him personally, but because I had a good knowledge of the business and I was, a, I was aware who he was, I, I knew he was a nice guy and I knew he was a real successful producer. And he looked terrible. I mean, he looked <laughs> sick. I was afraid I was going to have to call an ambulance. Oh, I, I, I got him a glass of water and I asked him if he was okay. He said yes, but he was very distraught because his friend had died. He had mm. just found out. So just out of concern, I listened to him talk and was just making sure he was okay. And I kept asking him simple questions just to hear him talk, you know? Well, after a while, he began to tell me that he was calling his friend because he was going to hire him to do an arrangement of Rhapsody in Blue for United Airlines. Mm -hmm. And his friend was a pretty famous composer arranger who I knew, I knew of, I didn't know him. When And when he said that, my head just started spinning. I was... <laughs> I was trying to be cognizant of the situation, but I wanted to do that arrangement for him. And I kept saying to him, you know, that's terrible about your friend, but, you know, I can do your arrangement for you. And he said, well, that's nice and all, but you're just a dubber. I need someone with an experience. He thought I was just trying to be nice by offering, you know, and yeah. uh, I, I kept insisting I was totally capable of doing the job. And he explained it required an orchestra. And I went, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Even though I had never written anything for a real orchestra. Well, I guess because I was so nice to him, he said, well, I'll let you bid on the job and we'll see. And he explained he was going to get others to bid on the job also. So you bid on it and got the job? Yeah, basically. I went home, ran to the local music store, and picked up a piano version of Rhapsody in Blue. I looked through the music and found a section of the piece that matched the mood of what they wanted. And then I sketched out an arrangement. And I read somewhere, I don't know where I learned this, but I read where a simple way to arrange for orchestra is that, I might have read this in a magazine or something, but a simple way to arrange for an orchestra is to take the top line of a piano score and sign the top line to violins one. And then the second note goes down to violins two, and the third goes to violas, etc. And then I played each individual part using a monophonic Moog synth. <laughs> you know, it was the cheapest one they made at the time, into this crude cassette deck system. And the result was a very noisy, crude demo of the piece, but and I, I can't even imagine how bad it sounded. Do you still have it? 
I do have a box or two of cassettes in my basement somewhere, but a copy might be in there. But I'm pretty sure I gave it to the producer. Not sure I have any desire, real desire to find it, but <laughs> the memory of it serves me way better at this point. I still have the Moog, though, but I digress. Anyways, when I think back, I should have just bought the full score because that was available to buy. And I could have seen how Ira Gershwin orchestrated and just used that. But I was young and stupid, you know. So then I tried to decide how much to charge and I typed up an estimate and for some reason I have no idea why I chose $5,000 and I thought wow $5,000 for a day in a recording studio I'm gonna be rich so I get my bid and my auto cassette and I give it to the producer and lo and behold he calls me and back and he says yeah kid you got the job but you know, it's got to be good. You have to get the Chicago Symphony Orchestra to record it and all. And I say, yeah, of course I know that. <laughs> and uh, I got a little worried, but I called the Symphony Orchestra up and they said, sure, $40,000 and we'll do it for you. <laughs> and I went, oh my God. <laughs> well, I swallowed real hard and I explained to them what I was doing. And the person referred me to Arnie Roth. And Arnie, I called Arnie, and he's a great guy. He was, a, I don't know if he still is, but he was a member of the CSO, I think. And I uh, explained to him what I was doing, and he said he'd get a string section of good players, and it would cost about $4,300. And so, and you were happy making the 700 bucks for one day in the studio. Yeah, that's what I thought. But not for long, because I got to pay the engineer in the studio, and I didn't think about any of that. You know, all was said and done, to make a long story short, I made about $300 that day. And you were happy. Made some money, got a nice sample reel, and a boatload of real-life experience out of it. Yes. Turns out, I found out much later, everyone else bidding on the job was bidding in the tens of thousands and wanted royalties and reuse payments. And I didn't know anything about any of that. <laughs> yeah, you live and learn. Yeah, so lots of lessons learned. And that demo tape got me a chance to do other jingles and other crazy projects. And then one day I sort of had a similar story in another studio where a producer was mad because the composer he hired did not do a job very well. He didn't do it correctly. He basically bailed Don out in a TV documentary. The producer was throwing tapes against the wall and he was so <laughs> mad. And the wall had autographs of famous people on it. And I was getting upset because the wall was getting damaged and you could, th th those were cool autographs. But anyways, I came in and I said, hey, settle down. I said, y but you know what? I can, I can score your TV show. And of course he said, you can't, you're just a dubber. I need somebody with experience. And again, I insisted I could do it. And he did not give me that job to do, but he got, the next episode came along, he gave it to me. And I'm sure that one went smooth as silk with all the life experience you had by now. Uh, yeah, your, your, your sarcasm is duly <laughs> hey, noted. The sarcasm light is on, my friend. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. The logistics of creating an hour's worth of music using a sequencer that could sequence three to four minutes of time, depending on how many notes you used, caused me hours upon hours of work. But that sequencer had worked well for me doing one-minute jingles, but was killing me here. But I slogged through it all, and I turned the score in, finished, and on time. And the producer saw how hard I worked at it and gave me more episodes, which allowed me to purchase a computer, something that was very new to me. You know, So I don't know if my score was very good for that first one uh, that I did, but I'm telling you, the producer saw how I was sweating and working so hard. He wanted me to succeed. He wanted to give me more opportunities. So, you know, I really enjoyed scoring the picture. It was a blast. And I think it showed in my work, too. So I would go to any lengths to make that producer happy or any producer happy. 
So after a while, I got more episodes, more series and projects, more than I could physically even handle. So for those of you following at home, to recap, to become a composer, learn to play as much music as you can, get yourself in the game any way you can, work hard at it, and assert yourself. Yes, I cannot emphasize enough. Don't let anybody tell you no. And, um, and when you do get a project, get it done on time. I know I was given many jobs that the producer thought that someone else could handle the job better, but he gave it to me because he knew that the job was going to get done at a certain level. And that's how you keep your job as a composer once you get it. And I guess I kind of got my opportunities because I had to wait for somebody to die or somebody to screw up. But if you're not in the game, you can't get those chances. So, And I think that my knowledge of the industry would uh, eventually, I would have forced my way in anyways if I hadn't been those two situations. But I, so I think another big point is, is it doesn't matter if you got the greatest degree from the greatest college or university ever. But And that's not going to hurt. But... Um, hard work pays off, and I think being a nice person will help you in the long run. Just being kind to people will pay off, and, you know, every dog will have their day. Hey, so, finals, we have to do another song. Kerry, have you got another one? Yeah, let's do Till We're Gone. So, just the two of us again? I gotta carry the whole thing again? Yeah, nice pun. Yep. One of the best songs ever. Backstory, please. Well, I mean, it's it's really straightforward. I mean, I wanted to write a song that, uh, you know, reminded me of the good times, thinking about uh, the good times I had in my youth. And, in you your know, ute. In my ute. Back in California. And then I, I don't know. It's just a good time song, I guess. All right. Well, go ahead. Start it. One, two, three. Take a trip to California to kick you back and catch some rays. Go and see some senioritas from your sweet old glory days. We can stroll along the seaside where we can party all night long. Now just remember, we ain't leaving till we're gone. Till we're gone, let's have a good time. Till we're gone, let's drink all night. Till we're gone, don't waste a minute on who didn't do us right. Till we're gone, we'll bring the feel good. Till we're gone, we just won't quit. All we get is just this one ride, so let's make the best of it. We can roll the party southbound. Georgia peaches are so sweet Get a dose of southern comfort The Dixie Highway's full of heat Cut your ties and break your chains You gotta set your spirit free Now just remember We ain't leaving till we're gone Till we're gone, let's have a good time Till we're gone, let's drink all night Till we're gone, don't waste a minute On who didn't Right till we're gone, we'll bring the feel good. Till we're gone, we'll never quit. All we get is just this one ride, so let's make the best of it. Ow! Oh, here we go. We're in the uh, solo section again, huh? 
Yeah, I think we got to figure out which cards we're using there. Yeah, well, <laughs> they're, they're, they're working. we got to get Harry a solo in this. That would be great. You know what? I, I'd like to put a... What if a big band was in this? It's got a feel for sure. <laughs> I love this song. I can hear Ray Charles Till we're gone, let's have a good time. Till we're gone, let's drink all night. Till we're gone, don't waste a minute on who didn't do us right. But till we're gone, we'll bring the feel good. Till we're gone, we never quit. All we get is just this one ride, so let's make the best of it. Till we're gone, let's have a good time. Till we're gone, let's drink all night. Till we're gone, don't waste a minute on who didn't do us right. Till we're gone, we'll bring the feel good. Till we're gone, we just won't quit. All we get is just this one ride, so let's make the best of it, yeah. singing at the end man <laughs> you've never sang before on these things yeah awesome. well i've never had any interest in singing but this song made me do it <laughs> maybe i said it wrong you never sing that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's funny all right quick before jim starts singing something else we gotta go. Time has expired. Jim, aren't you ever gonna explain the almost world famous well, thingy? No, no, not today. It's over. Well, you know, I could. No, later, Gainer. Curses. Foiled again. 